All right. Well, another day, and very blessed to to be alive. Very blessed to just uh, be encouraged by the Lord. Uh, I want to do things a little differently this morning, uh, as far as just not following the Holy Spirit, not some formula or anything like that. I just feel led to 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 pray, and there's uh, something quick that I want to share that the Lord put on my heart. Uh, just uh, maybe I think it's I think it's for not just myself, but for uh, the church. So uh, let's go ahead and pray, Heavenly Father, Lord God. Again, thank you for just your wonderful presence in our lives. The fact that we know that we're not alone, Lord, that you walk with us through every situation that we go through in life, um, that your covenant just entrusted to us through um, your son, Jesus Christ. We just thank you that the blood of your son, Lord, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, Lord, that it is the blood of Christ that heals every single situation in our lives, Lord, that uh, the blood of Christ is greater than our circumstances, greater than uh, the things that are surrounding us, greater than um, these troubling times that we're living through right now. And Father, I just pray that you would help every single believer in Christ just to continue to keep their focus upon you, Lord. May we not waver to and fro, tossed around like the waves of the sea, but may we have our firm foundation footed and rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are non-believers, Lord, and uh, what a, what a what a wild time to be living through, Lord. Is where is your anchor? Where is your hope? Or we those people need to repent and turn back to you and realize that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace, and that your desire is that none perish but all come to repentance. And so, Father, I pray just for uh, just. Uh, the people in the world, Lord, worldwide, living in these times, Lord, that that those that would recognize that you would quicken their spirits to to turn back to you, Lord, and 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 to submit and to repent and to serve you, Lord, and to understand that you are sovereign, holy, set apart, that you're mighty, that you deserve all praise, all honor, all glory, all love. Father, I thank you for uh, your Son Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray this all. In your son Jesus' mighty name, amen. Through Jesus' we've been given hope that anchors our soul even in the midst of difficult seasons. And I know with all the different things that have been going on in the last several weeks, this is the hope that we cling to. This is the reality of our faith in action. When things go haywire, who do we turn to? When things are going good, who do we turn to? And so uh, I just that's just something that the Lord laid on my heart. And I just want to just drive that home that the anchor, who is the anchor of your soul? Who is the anchor of my soul? It's Jesus Christ. And to recognize and remember, we always need to call upon them. We always need to be in fellowship with them. There shouldn't be a day that goes by. There shouldn't be moments throughout the day that go by where we don't acknowledge his presence and that we recognize that he's given us breath in our lungs and that we're here for a purpose, here for his purpose, and that's to live out our lives to bring honor and glory to him, especially in times of turmoil and times of uncertainty right now that we're living through. But Romans chapter 15 verse 13 is just such a such a great verse that that 
speaks of this this hope that we can be filled with if we choose to acknowledge and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And it reads, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And we need that. I know I need that. Uh, it's been a crazy week, but I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so we are uh, in Acts chapter 12, and we'll be finishing out this this chapter this morning. We're going to go through uh, verses 18 through 25. So give you guys a moment. And when you get there, I'll go ahead and read the text that we'll be studying through this morning. All right. Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 18 down to verse 25. And it says, Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And this is a very, very interesting account, and, and two very uh, polar opposites, two very different extremes that we see going on in this passage. And uh, I've entitled this, this message, Blasphemy and Blessings. Today, as we, again, wrap up Acts chapter 12, we will see the clear distinction between the godless and the godly. The difference between what is blasphemous and what is uh, an abomination to God and what a blessing is and what it, it means to be obedient to the Lord and to live for Him. We will learn what ultimately happens to those who choose to willfully disobey the Lord and those who humbly submit themselves under his authority. There are, excuse me, there are several main points this morning I'd like us to focus on. And the first one is, in the end, all people are held accountable. No matter what the present circumstances look like, no one gets away with doing whatever they want to do. It may seem as if 
people are having all the fun now, getting all the perks of life, doing all the things they want to do, and, and there's no accountability, and people can just run rampant and do whatever they want. But uh, death is the equalizer, and everyone will have to give an account, whether believer or non-believer. So despite what many people think, you can't just live however you want and run amok in this life and you won't be held accountable when you have to go before the Lord of all creation. And, and this, this is the first main point that we are all held accountable in the end. And so the fear of the Lord or deep reverence for who God is and that we were fearfully and wonderfully created, that should bring us to a place where we want to submit before him, that we want to uh, we want to. Uh, be held accountable and and and, and what's going to be pa passed on as far as God's judgment upon us is going to be a good thing and we're not going to be held in a place where he's going to be ashamed of us because we went against him willfully. The second main point is that pride comes before the fall. Now, the Bible is clear, speaks specifically about this, about those who are prideful, uh, it's not going to be long before they are going to have to eat the fruit of their labor, which is not a good thing. We must carefully examine how we respond to the praise of people. You see, when people give us credit and praise us, that's actually a test to see, are we going to just soak up this praise and this credit that people want to give it? give us or do we want to actually recognize it for what it is and humbly uh, defer and, 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 and say that it was the Lord's doing, it was the Holy Spirit living in me, that he deserves all honor and glory and not myself. How we deal with attention, how we deal with the attention of people, especially the credit and praise people would love to give others for their service or for the things that they do, this uh, dealing with attention is a direct reflection of how we think of God. I'll simply say exactly as what the text is showing by this individual, this king, receiving this praise of men, saying that he was a God, rather deferring it to to God, the true and living God, it showed that he really didn't have a reverence or a respect for God at all because he was willing to receive that attention and that praise. And the third main point this morning is the work of God always will continue without hindrance. No matter how man tries to fight against God, man's purposes will never prevail and the Lord's purposes and plans will always prevail. No matter what happens, nothing is going to trump God's work what God wants to do, who he wants to do it through, no matter the circumstances, he can work through the things that seem wrong and bad, and he can make things right through the, uh, the circumstances. And I mean, again, bringing it back to what's the application for our lives today with this coronavirus and with all these different things going on and how it's altering the way that we are living currently, the Lord can still use this dark thing, this thing that is leaving just the world in fear. The Lord can use this in a way that he can get glory from it and people's lives can be saved and be changed for the better. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and Look at these first couple verses, 18 and 19, and it says, Now 
When day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. When the text says the next morning there was little disturbance amongst the soldiers, well, that was totally correct. There wasn't a little disturbance amongst the soldiers. There was a huge disturbance. I mean, it was a serious deal. It was, this was just, the magnitude of what happened, the magnitude of Peter being uh, supernaturally taken out of prison and breaking out of those prison that prison cell, that was a huge deal. Uh, King Herod was furious that his prized prisoner Peter had escaped. So for it to for us to think that this was a small thing, that's an understatement. Uh, Herod was. He was beside himself, literally, because Peter got away. Herod searched frantically for Peter, trying to find him, basically a manhunt, trying to figure out where this man went. How did this prisoner get away? He had to get him. But because Peter's escape was a supernatural act of God, Herod would never be able to find him. Instead of humbling himself before God, Herod took another route which proved itself deadly. After examining the guards, Herod found it. He had no, he had no other option in his mind. Guards were under, Peter was under these guards watch and, and they basically let him go. Herod figured they have to die. You must die. And this was actually a common practice back then. Uh, if a prisoner was to escape, the ones who were guarding that prisoner would. Almost reminds me of an eye for an eye mentality because they lost their prisoner. Now they had to die. And this this just shows just the the character of this man, Herod, and, and, and the coldness and the cruelty that he ruled with, that he was unwilling to humble himself, he was unwilling to budge, that he said that because Peter escaped, these men had to pay with their lives. And so he truly had no care for, for human life whatsoever, and he only wanted what he wanted. And then lastly, went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend some time. And that will bring us to the next portion, uh, next couple of verses we'll look at, verses 20 and 21. And it says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked him for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. So now we see that this heartless tyrant Herod, he would stop at nothing to have his way. You see, unlike Jesus Christ, Herod lacked the compassion of a true leader. He tried to lead by might and by force and by intimidation, 
not by grace and not by true justice and not by uh, just understanding the needs of the people. It's not mentioned here in the text why Herod was angry with these people of Tyre and Sidon, but it is translated towards these people. And this hostile mind was uh, a mind that intended war. So he wanted to literally go to war with these people and he wanted to conquer their land. He wanted to take over whatever resources they had and he wanted to enslave these people to build the strength of his kingdom, to build the strength of his army, to build the strength of his political might. And so that is why uh, the text says that, that he was angry with them. He intended to, to impose war upon them. His anger probably had to do uh, something with money and not receiving enough from them. You see, but poor Herod, he was under uh, this, this belief that his anger against others would yield him the results that he wanted. But the Bible is clear about this, that the wrath of man will never produce the righteousness of God. And how true is that? How many times have we found ourselves in situations where whether we're wronged by someone or maybe we're frustrated about the outcome of a situation and we go ahead and get frustrated and we get emotional, <clears throat> excuse me, and we get upset and then we start to vent that frustration, we start to vent that anger, that wrath upon other people or the situation. If you've ever done that, you find that it never yields the things that you want. You just become more broken yourself. You, you, you impose that brokenness upon other people. So now other relationships are fractured and it's never a good thing. And again, the, the Bible is crystal clear that our wrath will never produce the righteousness of Christ, of God. And, and Herod, he didn't understand this and he wanted to, to live by the sword, but, uh, he in fact would, would have to, again, eat the bitter fruit of his labor. Being that Herod wanted to wage war against them, the people of Tyre and Sidon came up with a plan. So, I mean, I could only imagine that there's this, this political figure that, that has a very strong kingdom and he's basically wanting to impose war upon you. What are you going to do? You're going to, especially if you don't have the might or the firepower to fight back, they're, you're going to find some kind of way of how you can manipulate the situation and figure out how you can kind of get through unscathed. And so this is what was going on within the minds of these people here. They were a trading people. So they found themselves a friend, a middleman in between them and King Herod. And this middleman's name was Blastus. I was like, that name is crazy. What a, I mean, just hearing that name Blastus, <laughs> that's a pretty cool name. Oh, I don't know if I named my kid that, but Blastus sounds pretty, pretty hard. Anyways, they pleaded with this man Blastus to persuade Herod to settle with them. So they would be there would be peace in the land and there wouldn't be bloodshed. So they used this man, they used their trading to figure out some way that they could just, you know, offer some kind of deal to where they could make out and be okay and not have to go to war against Herod and his kingdom. They did this because Herod also controlled not only the region and the power, but he controlled the food supply and they needed it. So obviously, whatever Blastus said to Herod, it worked 
because he set up a time where he would go before the people of Tyre and Sidon and explain to them what this deal was going to be. Uh, Speaking of King Herod, he was going to do this. Because he was a king, he was royal, and he had wealth, and he had power, uh, I believe, as the text says, flashy at that, he was in royal robes, but he wasn't humble. He wasn't a humble king. He wasn't a king that served the people. He was a king that served himself. And that is that is totally unlike, that is totally on the opposite end of the spectrum of the true and living king, the true and living God, Jesus Christ, who, who serves people, serves the world to the point that he went to the cross and he bore the sins of the world upon his own shoulders, that he took the stripes of the world so that we may be made. Those who are blessed and and what and what a great chasm there is between the two. You see, Herod was trying to impress the crowd. He was eager, uh, the crowd who was eager to, to please him. The example of this is, think of some kind of affluent people, or maybe even people that are poor, but have you know that work hard and strive to have nice things. Whether you have money or have a little of it, the fact that when we go out of our way just to show how much we, you know, we want to put ourselves out there, how we want to poise and position ourselves and make ourselves seem a certain way as if we have some kind of power or level up over other people, this is kind of what you're seeing. So it's like, you know, whatever. Got to have the name brand this, got to have that, got to be in a position where you're basically clearly showing that you have more financial security and status than the other person. It's almost like there there are rich people who, who, who dress poor or dress modestly not to draw attention to themselves. And there's other people with a whole lot of money and they, you for sure know that they got a lot of money because, you know, they're rolling in the car that's super expensive. They got the, they got the, you know, the clothes to match. They got all the jewelry. Um, there's even poor people like that where, you know, they're not dressing modestly. They're dressing as if they have all of this status. And this is what was going on with Herod as he was going to go before these people in his royal robes and all his, his earthly splendor to kind of just parade around to the people showing how, how uh, I guess, how gaudy and how royal he was compared to them. But we'll see how quickly this whole situation is going to take a drastic turn as Herod responds to the people and the way that he responds to them. So let's go ahead and continue on in verses 22 and 23. And it says, And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So in this situation, which is just wild, I mean, I can't even imagine seeing someone that's like, you know, I don't know, a politician up there or some kind of world leader in our time. And, and they're they're basically receiving all this praise and adoration from the people. And they're chanting, 
He's not a, he's a God. He's not a man. And, you know, the person's holding their hands up and they're over here cheering and waving. And then all of a sudden, you know, this person that's standing behind the podium is holding their stomach. And all of a sudden they just drop to the ground because they're just being eaten alive by a bunch of worms. That is just, that is wild. But in this situation, we will see a twofold ripple effect. One, the people were willing to do just about anything to persuade Herod to not only refrain from starting a war with their country, but also to provide them food. I mean, they were willing to do anything. For them to call him a god in order that they would not go to war, uh, that's just you know, they went to an extreme that you should never go to. This is the fear that was in them. They didn't have the faith and the hope of the true living God fighting on their side. They were trying to manipulate and persuade the situation. They had already made some kind of a deal with Blastus, which in turn prompted this meeting with Herod. But now we see them calling him a God and not a man. So that is the first part, which has a ripple effect, and that's shame on them for, for doing that. But but on the other side, the second thing is shame on Herod's part because he loved it. He embraced it. He desired it. He was probably, you know, like this, waving his hands like more, more, say more. It's making me feel great. I I, I want the attention. I want the fame. I want I want the, the the applause of people. He was soaking up all the attention. When when I was studying this, it made me think of Lucifer because he loved the praise of angels. He loved the praise of just or the thought of himself being so great. You see, that's a similar situation. That's what's going on. Uh, that's, that's how you know it's satanic. It has its origins in uh, uh, Satan because that's what he wanted. He wanted to be greater than God. He wasn't content with being created as the most beautiful angel with, you know, all of these jewels and stones and, and, and these talented gifts that he was given he wanted so much more than that. And, and we see Herod in the same way. People praising him, telling him he is like a God. He is not a man. And he accepted it willingly. But you see, Herod's biggest mistake was that, again, he took the glory for himself. He didn't give it to God. John chapter 12, verses 43 tells us, For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Because of his pride and unwillingness to defer to God, instead willingly receiving the praise of men, Herod was eaten by worms and died. You see, Herod's death was appropriate to his spiritual state. He was corrupt from the inside. His heart was rotten. His heart was hard. His heart was not uh, soft. It wasn't in a pliable state where the Lord could mold it and shape it and use it for his glory. His heart was callous and, and bent on serving himself. And so he died from the inside out. And, and when you think about it, how many times do we fall into that as well? When 
people will praise us. People will say these these great things and compliment us, and 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 we find ourselves soaking it up. I mean, it's not not something simple like oh, you know, you had a good hair day, and someone's like oh, your hair looks nice or your makeup looks nice. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's it's it's. You can humbly accept a compliment, but I'm talking about when you know people are pumping you up and 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 putting you on a pedestal and making you out to be someone who you're not to be. Uh, you know, I love in sports how you know some athletes they will defer to Jesus Christ and they will say, "I bring all glory. I give all glory to God. I give you know all praise to my." Savior Jesus Christ. I love how when Kurt Warner won the Super Bowl, uh, that was the first thing he said. And there, there are a handful of athletes out there that on the biggest stage in the most glorified state of sports, you know, the sports industry, they will defer to Jesus Christ and they will not be ashamed to say his name. And see, that is the difference here between, uh, you know, someone who is blessed and someone who is being blasphemous like Herod. There is an ancient Jewish historian, Josephus, and he described Herod's death in gory detail. And I'll, I'll read it quickly because it kind of brings a more of a light into what actually happened to Herod on that day. And, and, and what Josephus wrote, it's, it's read like this. And he said, he put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contextual and excuse me, and of a contexture truly wonderful, and came into the theater early in the morning, at which the time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner, and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And pers and presently his flatterers cried out one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. A severe pain also arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner when he had been Quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life. And the application simply for us today is when we desire the praise of men, that's all we'll receive. If all you want is the adoration and the attention of men, the attention of women, the attention of people, if all you want is to climb the corporate ladder and have people you know, give you the, the, the parking space with the placard that says employee of the month. If that's all you're living for, that's all you're going to get. You see, it reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar. We remember King Nebi, right? He bragged about building his glorious kingdom with his own hands. Only in that moment to have the Lord humble him by sending him into the wild having this man, this king, lose his sanity for seven years, running around wild like a, like, like a wild animal, you know, digging stuff out of the ground. But see, the difference between King Nebuchadnezzar and, and King Herod was through those seven years, the Lord had did a work in King Nebuchadnezzar's life because King Nebuchadnezzar ended up repenting and he gave glory and honor to the true and living God. And so, there was something that clicked in the insanity of this man and him being humbled. But 
for whatever reason, we don't know. may have been that this man's blasphemy was just so out of hand that the Lord just said, you know what, I have to strike him down because he's not going to repent. Maybe just how Pharaoh was as well. Every time that he said, you know, he told uh, Moses he was going to let uh, God's people go and then he would change his mind after the night and, you know, then and go back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and the Lord knew that Pharaoh had already made up his mind. He already had hardened his heart. And the same thing is here with Herod. And for us today, let that not be said of us. Let us not be those that our hearts we've already chosen and we've hardened our hearts to the Lord's ways. And amidst this, again, amidst this pandemic, it's like God is crying out. He's screaming out to the people of the world, return back to me. Stop hardening your hearts. You're not going to get saved by a vaccine. You're not going to be saved by, by staying indoors, quarantining yourself, though that stuff is important. You're going to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to be saved by returning back to your first love, by submitting and humbling yourself, understanding and remembering that, that I'm a sinner and that I need the saving grace of Jesus Christ to make me right with God the Father. I truly believe he's using this situation we're currently living through as a wake-up call to the world, to the people of the world, to make a decision and decide who are they going to stand with. Are they going to harden their hearts and stand on their own and try to get through this thing? Or are they going to submit and defer to Jesus Christ and allow him to reign in their hearts and to bring them through this situation victorious? The Bible is clear that God is a jealous God who will share his glory with no one. You can read about that in in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, and Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. And we see this clearly played out here. Herod was, again, receiving the praise of men. People were saying he was a god. God will not share his glory with no man, no woman, no person, no country, no government. He will share his glory with no one. All right, last two verses. Chapter, uh, verses 24 and 25, and it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This whole time in this passage, as we've studied this morning, we have witnessed manipulation wickedness and blasphemy and seeing all these things being judged by the Lord and seeing the consequences for one's actions when we willingly choose to disobey the Lord and choose to go our own selfish way. Now we will see the other side of it, that despite all of this sin going on, the word of God increased and multiplied Amen. That should be such an incredible encouragement for you and I this morning, that despite the wickedness in the world, despite the sin in the world, despite the the, the, the despondency of people and the fact that, that, I mean, again, people are living in fear right now, controlled by the circumstances around them. Do you understand that God is still on the throne, that God is still in control, that Jesus Christ still reigns high and supreme? And he is the ruler and controller of your life. He holds all things in his hands and his will will be done. Nothing can stop the work of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 30 tells us, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel 
can avail against the Lord. And that, again, I mean, I find this so encouraging in my own life is just this week has just been been crazy. You know, Um, my faith has personally been tested on a level that I've never experienced. My, you know, uh, we're going through this whole coronavirus thing and my wife has been dealing with these 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 dizzy spells and things going on with with her body and her life personally and just just this, the stress of work, the stress of life and her, you know, doing all these things, being, uh, you know, a full time mother working full time, you know, being a full time wife and just everything came to a head. And, you know, I had to my my job closed and um, I stopped working uh, last Friday. They said I'm off till April you know, 7th. So I've been at home and I've been keeping my son home. Um, and, and my wife called me, I think it was Tuesday morning. It was like, you know, 1145. And she was like, you're going to have to come get me. I'm like, what What are you talking about? You're going to have to come get me. I'm not feeling good. I can't, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not good on my feet. I I feel like I'm going to fall. I, you know, I feel dizzy this and that. So, you know, bring her home. And from the time I brought her home till the next morning, like 10 in the morning, she was bedridden. You know, she was better and she could not get up. The few times she got up to use the restroom, it was like she couldn't walk, this and that. I mean, it was extremely just frustrating, not understanding what's going on with her. And, and you know, the, if, if you guys know Veronica, she, she's spruce. She, she's got her wits about her. You know, she's very a very vibrant person. She has a lot of energy. And she was a shell of herself that day. And I've, you know, the, 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 the six and a half years we've been married, I've never seen her like that. And so, you know, it was an extreme test for me. And, and, and I'm like, Lord, I'm you tell me not to be scared and not to worry. Lord, I'm, I, I'm praying, but I'm, I'm worried. I'm needed to to, to 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 rest. And then the next morning come to find out she was so weak, she couldn't even get out of the bed. She was so dehydrated. She was throwing up. And, and, and I'm not knowing what's going on, but I had to call the paramedics. <laughs> she had to go to the emergency room. And, and this is amidst uh, this, this whole coronavirus thing. I'm like, is there another way we can deal with this to where you don't got to go to the ER? Because, you know, now you're going to go to the hospital and you're going to be exposed to these germs and, you know, this and that. And, and your mind can go a million different places. Right. And if if it's somewhere deep in my fibers, I did not have the truth of who Jesus Christ was. I would have lost my mind. I'm not going to lie. I did break down. But you know what? I broke down at the foot of Jesus at the feet at the foot of the cross. And I said, Lord, I need you. I need you to intervene. I need you to have your will be done. I can't do anything for my wife. This is just crazy. This is beyond my understanding. I don't know. And and you know what? I found myself in a place of true brokenness and dependence upon the Lord. And I think that's what he wants is, you know, watching my wife being carted out on a stretcher, going into the ambulance, you know, going to the ER at Santa Clara, uh, Santa Clara Kaiser, and, you know, Santa Clara County, we got the most cases of this whole coronavirus thing in the whole state. So it's like you knew what was going in my mind. But it's like I had to have the anchor of Jesus Christ to keep me settled and to keep me right. And, and I share all that because it's real. These things that we're going through are real, and, and, and but our faith will be tested. But it's like, where do we put our hope? Where do we put our trust? Is our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ? If it is, we're going to be okay, even though it gets hectic and it gets crazy and it gets scary. But if you don't have Jesus, then you're just really in a lost place. 
But I, I share that story, that true occurrence. And, and that's the thing. It just happened. These are things I'm not making up. This isn't acting. This isn't no movie. This is real life. Things that me and my family have experienced this week. But Proverbs 21 uh, verse 30, no wisdom or understanding or counsel can avail against the Lord. And so take heart in that, that the Lord is in control no matter what, no matter what is going on. His name and the blood of Jesus Christ are greater than this pandemic. He will use all things for the good of those who love him. And I love this example, too. If you go through the Bible, you just see God's grace in all things. Think about the lineage of Jesus Christ. Okay, and think of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, right? King Solomon, he was the second child. If you guys remember, he was the second child of King David and Bathsheba. We all know how that relation came to be. That relationship between King David and Bathsheba, it was an adulterous relationship. Remember, the first child died. The first child actually died as, as, as a young life. And still, despite that, God's plan for humanity wasn't thrown off by man's sin because we know that Jesus Christ comes through the lineage of King David. So even in that craziness and that sinfulness of what was going on, the Lord still used it in a glorious way to bring him honor and glory and for his will and for his plan to come through. The application for us is we must remain rooted in the truth of who God is building our spiritual homes on the rock of Jesus Christ and not on the shifting sand of this world. Because you see, if you find yourself glued to that TV, glued to the news for two, three, four, five hours a day, you are going to go mad and you are going to be living in fear of this pandemic and all these things that are going on. You are going to isolate yourself even more. You won't be in your word. You know, at my home, I know, you know, messages are playing, you know, you got the kids watching VeggieTales, you got worship music going on, you know, and I'm not saying we're the perfect family, but again, what are you filling your minds with? What are you using your time for? If you're not edifying yourself or being edified through the Lord Jesus Christ, then yes, all these things that are going on in the world, it's going to drive you to a place of fear. And we know that that's what Satan wants. He wants us to live in fear. He wants us to be crippled by fear. But we know that perfect love casts out all fear. And that perfect love is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ casts out, he throws out that fear. And that's why you need to fill your hearts and your minds daily being renewed, having your mind renewed and having your mind washed in the word of God. And this has to happen. This has to be a lifestyle that you and I are choosing to live in like a bodybuilder or an athlete getting more endurance and growing stronger every day despite the opposition despite the, the uphill climb that it seems to be right now we still have to press into the Lord lastly we see Barnabas and Saul return from Jerusalem with another brother John Mark the significance of this is not only did they complete the work for the Lord at the time given to them, but God entrusted them, these faithful men, with even more opportunities to serve him. The application for us this morning is every day we live, we are given 24 hours and the opportunity within that time to live faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve others. Today, the Lord is counting on all of us by faith to pray 
interceding for others and serving however we can to serve your family, to serve your community, to serve your city, to serve your county, to serve your state, to serve your country, to serve your world. The world needs your help, needs my help. Let's be those who respond to the call on our lives and make a difference for Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your provision that we can understand your truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that helps us rightfully divide your word of truth and that we are able to understand it, that we are able to apply it to our lives. I thank you for this account in the in, in the Bible of of Herod on one end, and, and, and then uh, you know uh, Saul and Barnabas and, and, and John Mark and, and the faithful stewards of the truth on the other end. Father, help us in these days. Help us today, Lord, to seek your will. Lord, help us, give us a, a, a renewed sense of who you are and how much you love us, that you gave us this covenant relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, and you and the Holy Spirit by allowing your son to go to the cross to shed his blood. The fact that his shed blood means that your word is bond, that there is no way you will go back. You will never renege on your promises to us because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let us not shy away from speaking and sharing about the blood of Christ because it's the blood of the, the Holy Lamb is the only thing that will cleanse us from our sin. We'll clean up this world. We'll clean up our lives. We'll clean up our hearts. And so we're thankful, Lord, that you gave that precious blood so that we may be saved, that we may be right with you. Father, as we go out through the rest of our day, help us to remember to, to keep our eyes fixed on you and to keep our hope in you, Lord, to not be moved to the left or to the right, uh, beaten down by, by the things that we experience in this life, the things that we hear, the things that we see on the news, the things that we read on social media. But let us truly just take this time to really seek you out and, and, and to allow you to reveal to us the things that you would have us to do. Help us to stay connected, Lord. Help us to use the technology that you've given to us, the things like you know, like Google Duo, whatever it is, that we would stay connected, that we wouldn't just be isolated even though we cannot be together physically. Father, may your will be done. May you be glorified. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.